This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Isaiah 43. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along on the screens behind me, but we're going to be moving uh, really quickly this morning. So I would encourage you to take advantage of a physical Bible. If you don't have one, there's some in the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, you can grab one of those. Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to be looking at a passage that may not be quite so familiar to you, but my hope and, and prayer this morning is that in the chaos of this season, uh, this passage will be a source of, of refreshment and encouragement to you. Uh, but before we dive into this long passage, I want to share just a very brief summary of what's going on and why Isaiah is writing this book in this particular passage. The book of Isaiah was written around the 8th century B.C., several hundred years before Jesus was born. It was written to the people of Israel, which at this point in time were divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. And right around the time of Isaiah's writings, the kingdom of Israel was about to fall into captivity to the Assyrians. Isaiah, as a prophet of God, is, is writing and communicating to God's people. He's communicating God's warning and judgment to these nations and to remind them of God's promises. God was about to deliver them over into exile because they had disobeyed God's commands, primarily the command against idolatry. If you read the Old Testament as, as one big story, you notice this, this pattern emerge. God saves his people, the people worship God, and then the people become complacent or unappreciative or impatient, and then they turn to idols, and God delivers judgment or punishment to them, and then they repent and then God redeems his people again. The cycle repeats itself over and over again. God saves, the people forget. God judges, the people repent. It repeats over and over. So when Isaiah is called out by God, the people of Israel are smack in the middle of this rebellious cycle. They've forgotten who God is and what he's done for them. They've given themselves over to idols, and they've forgotten who is the one who saves. The name Isaiah means the Lord saves. And that's what this book is all about. If you only remember one thing this morning, it's that God saves sinners. J.I. Packer sums up the message of Isaiah like this. God saves sinners. Sinners do not save themselves in any sense at all, but salvation, first and last, whole and entire, past, present, and future, is of the Lord, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So God saves sinners. And it's in the middle of this cycle that God uses Isaiah to communicate communicate this essential truth. I can't truly know who I am until I know who God is. So with that in mind, let's read Isaiah 43 together. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say, it is true. 
You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to drink, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself that they might declare my praise. Yet you do not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. There's one word, when you hear it, your ears instantly perk up. It's a word that you can usually pick out of all the extra noise and chaos, even in a crowded place. Some have said it may be the most important word in the English language. So what's this magical word? Well, it's different for all of us. It's our name. I know that nobody here had to run around doing any last-minute Christmas shopping this week, but just imagine that you're walking through Walmart or the mall. It's hectic. It's loud. There's constant distractions all around. But then you hear somebody say your name, and you would immediately recognize that particular sound over all the others. Why is that? Our name is important to us because it's, it's who we are. It's how we identify ourselves. But for many of us, identity is something we, we wrestle with. Who am I really? Surely we're more than just a name. We're more than just a social security number. Maybe not in the eyes of the government or your employer. But in reality, we're more than just these small markers. As kids, our identity is found in our, our family. I used to get this a lot. Oh, you're, you're that, Brian. You're Scott and Donna's boy. I know my kids probably get tired of getting mistaken for each other and getting called by the wrong name because their identity is so closely linked to each other. As adults, we often find our identity in what we do, our jobs, our hobbies, our interests. Later today, some of you will probably try to find your identity in banding together to cheer for a certain football team. When we introduce ourselves to somebody, we're quick to offer our name and, and occupation. It's often the first thing people ask us, what, who are you and what do you do? Sometimes we choose to be identified by our vices. 
whether you identify as an alcoholic or a shopaholic or anywhere in between, we use these labels and we look for things to help communicate our identity. But none of these things speak to the heart of who we are. In verse 1 of Isaiah 43, God says this to his people, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Because God has redeemed us, we can look at our identity in an entirely new way. This morning, I want to take just a few minutes and show you three keys to our identity. The first key and the most important thing for us to consider this morning actually has nothing to do with us. It's all about who God is. I know that many of us are still in a bit of a Christmas fog, and so we're not going to explore each of these things in depth this morning. We could spend an entire sermon on each of these things, these ideas. But my hope in taking a quick look at what God says about himself, we'll be able to get a big picture of who he is. So just here in Isaiah 43, we see God described as these, in these ways. Lord, creator, redeemer, sovereign owner of his people. In verse 1, it says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. It says, I am the Lord who created you, who formed you. Isaiah introduces God as the creator and reminds the people of just how close God desires to be with them. God creates and forms them. He redeems them. He saves them. He knows their name. They are his people. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In these verses, we see that God created all things and is now redeeming and reconciling all things to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. In verse 2, Isaiah says he'll be with us in times of hardship and trouble. Isaiah writes, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. No matter what we face, God will always be there with us. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Genesis 28, 15, God spoke to Jacob and said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. In verse 3 of Isaiah 43, he says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Last week, we looked at Mary's song in Luke 1, where she praises God for the miracle of Jesus coming. In Luke 1, 41, she sings, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary remembers all the marvelous things that God has done for her. And here in Isaiah 43, Isaiah is pointing back to this too. God is the Holy One of Israel. He's calling them to remember all the times that God has claimed his people and saved them from bondage and exile. In verse 11, God says, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. He's the only one who can save. In verse 12, he says, I declared and saved and proclaimed, I am God. When the people of Israel had no other place to turn for salvation, the Lord was there to save them. Acts chapter 4 says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In verse 13, God reveals that he is sovereign over all things. He says, there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. 
Romans chapter 8 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sounds pretty comprehensive to me. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. When God has saved you, you can rest squarely in his hand knowing that nothing can take you away. In verses 14 and 15, we see the theme of redemption and holiness repeated. The Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Again in verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. In verses 16 and 17, we see Isaiah refer to God as the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down and cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. This alludes to a familiar story for many of us. We studied it just a few weeks ago with the kids on Wednesday night. In Exodus chapter 14, Moses writes this. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God provided a way out of bondage for his people. They had spent 400 years in slavery at the hand of the Egyptians. But then God intervened and he sent a redeemer to lead them out of slavery and into freedom and into the land of promise. He made a way. In verses 20 and 21, we see that all of creation honors and worships its creator. And then finally, in verse 25, after reminding the Israelites of who he is and what he has done for them up to this point, he makes one final definitive statement. God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God is saying here that I have forgiven you. I have cleansed you, not because of what you've done, but I did it for my own sake. God forgives because he chooses to. God forgives because it brings him glory. God, the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer, the Creator, the Sovereign King, the One who makes a way in the sea and in the wilderness, the One who saves, the One who chose you and called you by name, this God has made you his own. If you belong to him, he wipes out your enemies and he wipes out your sins. He casts them aside and he does not remember them. So why did Israel need all these reminders? Because they're just like us. They're forgetful. They forgot who saved them from Egypt. They forgot who led them through the wilderness and into the promised land. They forgot who provided a king to lead them. They forgot the promises of the coming Messiah that we see feature prominently in the rest of the book of Isaiah. They forgot and they turned to lesser gods. They turned to idols made of wood and stone. They turned to trinkets who had no authority, who had no power, and they forgot the creator of the cosmos who called them by name. When we forget who God is, we end up doing the exact same thing that they did, wandering in the wilderness, giving ourselves over to captivity and exile because we don't trust in the God who called us out of it. That brings us to our second key to our identity in this passage, who I am. For the sake of time, we're going to focus on just two sides of our identity this morning. And the first we just read about in verse 25. 
Look with me at that verse again. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The first element of our identity is that we are sinners. We have transgressed against the Holy One of Israel. We have broken his law. We have forsaken his commands. We have turned aside and we've sought our own pleasure before his glory. This is true for every person in this room. Psalm 51, 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Our sin separates us from God, and we are left with only the promise of death. Without God, there is no salvation. Without God, there is no hope. And we are just like the Israelites. We are idolaters. We have worshipped our own desires. We have sought to create this image that we don't need God. We look for salvation in our own good works instead of trusting in the one who made a way for us. We attempt to be good people, doing good things, all in the vain and futile hope that maybe, just maybe, we can do enough to make a difference. But we cannot escape this truth. You and I cannot save ourselves. We can't be good enough. There is no amount of effort or trying on our part that will make any difference in light of eternity. Only God can save. Only God can forgive sins. And you're not God. The gospel isn't good news without this necessary bad news. Outside of God's work, we all stand condemned. But here's the good news. We don't have to stay there. The Lord saves. God saves sinners. And if you trust in him... These promises that we've talked about today can be yours. He can blot out your transgressions and forget your sins. He can conquer your enemies, including your greatest enemy, your own sin. He has made a way of salvation for you if you'll just walk his way. He can be your redeemer, your king, your savior. And if that possibility wasn't good news enough, he desires that kind of relationship with you. The one who made you desires to welcome you into his family. To make you his own. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. We are all sinners. We can't escape that truth. But our sin doesn't have to define us. God wants us to be his. He wants to call us by his name. He wants to call you his own. But how can this holy God, who is completely holy and pure and sinless himself, so holy that he can't even be in the presence of sin, how can this holy God make a sinful people his own? Remember how the Israelites tried to get there? How they tried to save themselves? making and worshiping idols, trusting in their own piety, their own good deeds, going through religious rituals and sacrifices. None of that worked. Just like God made a way for Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, God sent a redeemer, a better Moses, to lead his people out of bondage. Jesus came to deliver his people from slavery, not physical chains and labor, but from the chains of sin. God sent his very own son to take on human flesh, to live a perfect, sinless life, 
and to lay down his life by dying in our place on the cross. God made the way. He created a path for us to know him, and then he did all the work for us. He redeemed us. He bought us back from the clutches of sin and death by his very own blood so that we could be his. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We can't buy our way out of the punishment we deserve with all the silver and gold in the world. But Jesus came and shed his precious blood to ransom us, to redeem us, to buy us back. So what's your identity this morning? We're all sinners. We can't shake that. But who do you belong to? Are you living for yourself? Are you trying to cover up all your sin and shame with your meager resume of good works? Or do you belong to him? Have you trusted this good and holy God who has paid the price for you? Are you his? If you belong to God, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, take comfort in this this morning. 1 Peter 2 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you are in Christ, you are a people for his own possession. You have been bought with a price, and that price is the precious blood of Jesus, shed to cover your sins. God has blotted out your transgressions, and he does not remember your sins. He's not holding it against you. He already held it against Jesus, and Jesus took the punishment on your behalf. Church, we can, we can rest in this good news. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to strive after the wind, chasing perfection and, and futility. Rest in Christ. And when we rest in Christ, we can walk forward in confidence, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. We don't have to fear what people say about us. We don't have to worry about whether we're good enough. If you rest in the person of work, in work of Jesus, you're already acknowledging that you're not good enough. But he is. He is the sovereign king who reigns over all of creation. He is the perfect, spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's not just a sweet baby in a manger. He is the holy one, the redeemer, God's own son who came to lay down his life as a ransom for you and for me. But what if you're not there this morning? If you don't know Jesus this morning, you can't rest in Christ because you're not in Christ. The only identity you're left with this morning is sinner. And when sinners stand before the Holy One of Israel, we don't have anything to stand on. No amount of good deeds can cover your sin. No amount of religious rituals can earn God's favor. These people tried. They sacrificed, they followed the law, and they still fell short. So will you. You need a Redeemer. You need a Savior. You need to hear the call of your Creator today and trust in Christ to save you. This morning, we've caught a glimpse of who God is. We've stared our own sinfulness squarely in the eye, but the third key to our identity is a choice. How do we respond? As we prepare to enter a new year, it's a time for reflection, for pondering, for dreaming. But listen closely, brothers and sisters. You don't have to dream up new ways to please God. If you belong to Jesus, God is already pleased with you. 
because he is infinitely pleased with Jesus. Colossians 3 tells us that if we belong to Christ, you have already died to sin and to self, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You can't earn more brownie points because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Friends, that's good news. If you belong to Christ, that is your identity. Your identity is not in your family, your occupation, your talents, your hobbies, your favorite sports teams, or how much money you have in the bank. If you are his, you have been called, you have been chosen, you have been saved, you have been redeemed. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. All because the Holy One of Israel made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't belong to Christ, you can continue down that road of trusting in your own good works for salvation. It might make you feel better to do good things. It might make your family and friends and co-workers say nice things about you. It might earn you a good reputation. But friends, a good reputation means nothing to a dead man. And in your sin, you are a dead man. When people write about you in your obituary, it will not mean anything three weeks later. It won't matter how many people you helped or how generous you were. What really matters is who do you belong to? Are you his? Has God called you by name? Have you responded by trusting him alone for salvation? It's not too late. The message of the entire book of Isaiah is simple. God saves sinners. If you're a sinner, you qualify. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trying to find your identity, your purpose, your value, and what you can do. That's not where true identity is found. Find your life, your purpose, your identity in Christ. You can't truly know who you are until you know who God is. And this morning you have a choice. It's the difference between life and death. Trust in the sovereign king, the creator, the redeemer. God saves, he redeems sinners. Let's find rest in him today. Let's pray together.